Hello and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast that deals with the intricacies of planning worship with and for your faith community. I'm Derek Weber, the Director of Preaching Ministries at Discipleship Ministries, General Agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast has been developed to discuss ways to plan worship experiences using the Common Lectionary, along with acknowledging other special days and events throughout the liturgical year. Our goal is always to assist you in creating corporate worship celebrations that are engaging, relevant, and adaptable for your church setting. However, during these unprecedented days of social distancing and leading online worship, we have endeavored to provide conversations that share the challenges of producing online worship and finding ways to help congregations stay engaged and feel connected even from a distance. So today I welcome my special guest, Ken Sloan, the Director of Stewardship and Generosity here at Discipleship Ministries. But due to the coronavirus, obviously our office building is closed and the entire Discipleship Ministry staff is working remotely. So Ken and I are recording this podcast from our homes. Now, Ken's office is right next to mine, so I listen to him all the time. He's always got something to say, but I'm never quite sure what he's doing. So, Ken, welcome, first of all. Glad that you're with us today. But why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about what you do at Discipleship Ministries, but then also how COVID-19 has changed your approach to what you do. Thanks, Derek. Um, My work at Discipleship Ministries is in the area of stewardship and generosity. Um, What I find myself doing in that work on a day-to-day basis is kind of balancing between two worlds. One is um, to kind of support and help uh, with the nuts and bolts mechanics of managing finance in local churches, um, funding mission and ministry, and those kind of practical tools that people look for, uh, things as simple as doing an audit, um, how people can make selections between online uh, giving vendors, things like that. The other world that I live in, I think, is the part where we're, we're trying to see generosity as part of what makes a complete disciple. And how do we do the work of growing generous disciples in local churches? And so I try to keep one foot in each of those worlds. Now, in regard to how COVID-19 has changed that work, um, I really have kind of tried to kind of put myself in the position of people who are in the local church, either on the finance committee or clergy leaders, and saying in the face closed doors of churches, um, How can we best resource and find new and innovative ways to help people manage themselves during this time? Um, Nobody could have predicted this. Nobody could have budgeted for None of us knew that this was coming on the horizon, but we're here in the midst of it. And what are the practical helps that we can give people to manage themselves and manage their church ministries uh, through this particular crisis until um, the doors open again and the restrictions are lifted and people are coming back into our buildings. So what are you finding the, the critical uh, need in most of the churches? Uh, is there an awareness of online giving? Is that, is that an easy thing to do? Or, you know, how do you go about that whole process? Well, one of the early things that we kind of realized was that churches that had already gotten on board with online giving had a distinct advantage when this crisis came along. Um, They had a mechanism built in, and and that was wonderful that those churches had that ready to to happen. 
Um, for other churches, we have held special webinars um, to tell them how to quickly get on board with online giving. Um, the other thing that we've tried to do is to uh, help churches identify if there are ways that they could partner with others to do online giving. I know of a several annual conferences that have created online giving uh, platforms or accounts with vendors that would allow them to allow churches to send money to the conference office that can be designated to come back to that church. And so it provided an easy, quick way for churches to get onto an online giving situation. Um, another suggestion that was made was that um, churches that had already established online giving could create a new giving line or a new fund sort of for a, na for a neighboring church that may not have had the opportunity or the resources to put that all in place in time. And so um, we're trying to be kind of come up with some ideas of ways that people can get on board with it. Um, for the eight or nine years that I've been in this position, from the very beginning, I've been talking about this move to online giving and how important it was away with the offering and worship, but to give people another option as people are writing fewer and fewer checks, online giving and carrying less cash, online giving becomes a great alternative, uh, another way to make it easier for our folks to give. Yeah, I remember as a pastor, hearing members of my church saying the only check they write anymore is to the church. Absolutely. <laughs> through a credit card or through an online giving kind of platform. So, right. So your argument is, is that churches need to be doing this regardless of this shelter at home situation we're in now. Absolutely. And you know, the biggest resistance that I've found to online giving um, is people say, well, you know, there are fees involved and, and uh, you know, we don't want to have to pay fees. And lately, I've been saying to folks, you know, when I started out in ministry, and Derek, you probably have experienced some of this too, we spent a boatload of money on envelopes. Uh, yeah. We had the envelopes, we paid for the envelopes, we had them printed in a special way to reflect our year and how it went. We had them shipped to the church. We hoped that people would pick them up on Sunday morning, but I always wound up taking a boatload of, or trayload of these envelopes to the post office and spending and this is back way back when, but, you know, at least a dollar or a dollar and a half to mail them to people. And, you know, nobody ever questioned that. That was the cost of, of funding our ministry and getting our offerings into people. You know, we knew we have folks who would, you know, wanted to have the envelopes and that, you know, sent to them. Well, the, the fees that we pay are, again, I tell people, it's, it's a, the cost of doing our work. It's a cost of mission and ministry. And uh, the reality is, if you get one person who is doing uh, recurring giving and faithfully giving all that they pledge, uh, that amount that you are able to realize and count on far outweighs the, the, the total cost of any fees from, for everybody in your congregation who's using online giving. So this, this whole event that we're in right now may be just a, a kick in the pants for those who've been resisting a little bit, saying yeah, it's time to move forward. And and I think I think we're going to find that too, and and maybe you know your team has was going to find this in terms of streaming, is that you know technology has been there for us to do these things, and some churches are using it, and some churches didn't just didn't want to get on board, but you know the experience of of this particular crisis and and being able to have people come to us 
is going to open us up and maybe get some people to say, hey, you know what? This whole digital technology thing is not the enemy after all. That's going to offer us a lot of new opportunities that I think are significant. Yeah, we've begun having conversations with worship leaders from lots of places who are saying, this is going to continue. You know, even when the restrictions are lifted, our ways of doing ministry are going to change. We're going to keep staying online. We're going to keep reaching out because many of them are finding their contact is actually larger online than it ever was in their church. Yeah, you know, we're I hear even that too. worried about the loss in the local church. So what are, what are you seeing financially uh, from churches you're in communication with in terms of how they're being impacted by this? Well, um, I keep getting data that says that basically, you know, people are, um, they're giving us down, which not, should not be surprising to anybody. Um, people are not gathering the same way. Some of that decrease in may have to do with uncertainty in the economy right now. Um, people who are, people are being furloughed from jobs. Um, maybe they're staying home on, on reduced income. And so some of that is going to be playing into this as well. Um, some people who are older are nervous now because the market's going down has, you know, kind of impacted what they had put away. And that's, that's a big concern as well also. So, you know, we just looked at some data. You and I were talking about it earlier um, that uh, about three quarters of our churches say they're giving us down. Um, some people are saying they're giving us down as much as 40%. But what we're hearing from a lot of churches is that, you know, they realize that their expenses are down in some cases um, because the buildings aren't opened, and uh, they're able to make some adjustments in their budget um, in a good way to kind of keep things moving in this period of time with the hope that on the other end of this, and I believe this is going to happen, is that um, we're going we're gonna to get back in good shape. Um, I think people are are hungry for the community they get when they gather for worship and see people face-to-face in their communities. I think we're not going to see a lot of people who's, who say, oh, I'd much rather stay in my house than, than come to church. But I think you're absolutely right. I think what we're going to find is we're giving people a window in the community to what happens in church. And, uh, and I think that can only be a good thing for us. Right. I, I think it's going to have to be a both and going forward, not a either or, you know, what are we going to do and go back? And I think even financially, we'll find that we can make an impact in the wider community. I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine in Indiana who serves a a downtown church, which is one of those churches that used to be huge and now is a small congregation, but they have some some very active feeding ministries for the homeless population in, in downtown Indianapolis. And and since they've been doing this online, first thing is they've discovered their attendance is even higher than what it would have been in the congregation. Lots of people are listening in. But when they began talking about the ministries that they are doing, money was coming in from people who were not members of their church, who just heard them doing a good thing and said, I want to support that. I want to, I want to help that. So, so how do we have our congregations begin to say, we've got to tell our story a little wider than we've been telling it in the past so that others can hear and participate and contribute even financially. Derek, I think you're absolutely right. One of the trends that I've been trying to tell people about long before we um, went through the sheltering at home process with the corona uh, virus crises is that um, we people are anxious to hear about the impact that their giving makes. And 
it's a change for us, I think, in the church, a cha- church culture. It's a, maybe it's a generational thing. But, you know, my parents were very happy to give to the big bucket of the church, uh, that the church knew what to do with it. The church would make good decisions with their charitable giving. I think that's becoming less and less the norm. And people more and more, and I'm not talking about just millennials, but baby boomers as well, um, want to hear the stories of the impact their giving is making. And there are many places that they can give outside of church that will be very explicit about the impact that their giving is going to make. And so the church needs to raise our game in that area, and we need to find those stories of impact. Now, they don't have to be, you know, big dramatic stories. But they can be the story about, you know, the young person who was raised through the Sunday school of your church. And look at where they are now. They're going to college. They've made really good decisions with their lives. And that we had a part in that as a local congregation through providing the nurture of Sunday school and youth group and all the other opportunities that we've had. Um, so I think there are stories in all of our churches. And we just need to get in the, in the habit of t- lifting up those stories so that people understand their giving is making an impact. Now, during this crisis, when we're not together and where we all have to shelter, um, I'm finding amazing creativity in churches about ways that they're keeping people connected and helping people who, uh, who may have problems getting to the grocery store to connect with somebody who's going and can pick up things they need. And, and those are great stories to tell as well, that, you know, we have a we have a place that we can be in ministry. And even when the doors are locked, ministry still goes on. Right, exactly. And, and I think this, this moves us toward what I really want to talk about. Um, I'm part of the worship team. And, and I know that you talk about stewardship in general uh, and financing issues in the church. But I want to talk about stewardship and worship and, and the role of of giving and how we talk about that as a part of, of the act of worship. Let me let me even be more specific. Talk to me about the offering as as a part of worship. Some churches don't do it. You know, it's a retiring offering or or something like that, or it's all online. Other churches do do it. What are you finding about the necessity of that? And in light of COVID, as people come back, what what rules might you give people for how how we participate in offering during worship? Well, I think there's a, a very unique opportunity in, in most of our worship services um, that I don't think we take the best advantage of. Um, and I look back on my ministry and I wish I could, you know, there are times when I wish I could rewind back and I would be much more intelligent and I would be much more um, intentional about this moment when everybody's attention is focused on the, this receiving of the offering of people offering their gifts. Um, in that moment, you have everybody's attention focused there, and it's a significant moment to speak um, as a leader in worship, to say, um, here's our opportunity. You know, all of us, remind us, all of us have been blessed by God, and here's our opportunity to offer something up. We can't outgive God. We can't motivate God to do good for us by our giving, but we can do it as an expression of gratitude. It's maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes that you have in the worship service where everybody expects you to talk about giving and money and and gratitude and generosity. So I really believe that we should make the most of that moment when people are focused in that way. Now, during this pandemic and when we get back to coming to church, um, 
I think we really need to consider the fact that passing uh, brass offering plates um, from one hand to the next down a row of people is probably not going to be something that everybody is comfortable with. And uh, we may need to look at some alternatives to that um, in some different way. Um, I've had the opportunity and the privilege through the work that I do to travel to Africa and to see offerings which are done with people coming up the, the aisle and putting offerings at the altar in different buckets and sometimes in a trash can where, you know, depend, and each one is labeled for a fund. Um, maybe we're going to adopt something like that that involves less contact. And maybe our brothers and sisters in Africa, because they've had to deal with some of um, these fast-spreading illnesses uh, more than we have, have found a better way to do that. But I really think that when we get back to meeting and worship, I think right at the very beginning, we need to say to put those brass offering plates aside and come up with some other creative ways to do it. But again, I go back to that idea that there is this opportunity in worship. And one of the things, one of the statistics that amazed me recently, um, the Lake Institute, which is part of the Lilly School of Philanthropy and does wonderful work and wonderful studies, uh, did a survey last year. And, and one of the facts that came out of that was that 78% of giving to churches, and they did a survey of about 1,200 churches across denominational lines and um, all kinds of different faith communities. About 78% of that giving happened during worship. Um, there's an opportunity there. And whether you do it electronically, whether people pick up their phones and do it with a text, or they go to, through an app and give or whatever, however it happens, there's something that happens when people are there in worship that we need to connect with. So make it more than just a, a commercial break in the middle of worship. It is an opportunity to continue to worship. It is a part of worship. I, I like your idea of, of adopting the African method of bringing the offering forward. Of course, they dance forward. I don't know yeah. how many of our congregations want to dance forward with their offering when they bring it. But, but there is something about laying it there at the altar or before the altar as we bring our gifts to the Lord. You know, And it is a part of what it is giving of ourselves. So I hear you, Clint, Ken. I hear, I hear you saying that that stewardship is not an add-on, but it is uh, a part of what we are and do as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, so what, what do you say to a pastor who says, I don't like to talk about money, or to a congregation that says, oh, they talk about money too much? You know, but, well, how do you respond to that kind of complaint? Well, I think in some of our churches, and not in all of them, but in some of our churches, um, stewardship has been confined to these couple of weeks in October or November, um, where we talk, the only time during the year where we talk about money, and uh, it always ends with a card and a commitment, and when the cards come back in, we may follow up a little bit, and then we say, great, we can put this on the shelf, and then next year in the fall, we'll take it back out, and we'll talk about stewardship. I believe a much healthier approach is to have a stewardship strategy, a year-long stewardship strategy that doesn't involve talking about money in the budget every week. And in fact, there's little talking about the budget, I think. But what's more in focus is to use the opportunities throughout the year to talk about the impact the church makes, to talk about generosity, to preach the gospel, um, where the gospel and Jesus talk so much about money and possessions, and not 
to try and deflect it away from us as individuals who are sitting in the pews and trying to become disciples, but to challenge people to say, what does this say to us in our lives, living in this country with as much as we have? Um, what does it say to us about being disciples and being followers of Jesus? Um, I've heard this thing about the church talks too much about money. Um, I've heard people use that phrase uh, throughout the course of my ministry, through 22 years in pastoral ministry, and then through working at the conference and now working at an agency. But you know, the thing that I hear more than that recently in this work that I do is the phrase that people say, the only time the church talks about money is when they want me to give it to the church. And I see in there a hunger for people to say, well, you know, Jesus talked so much about money and possessions and how I need to get my life right to be, you know, to be in a good relationship with God. How come I only hear about it when you want me to fill out this card? And uh, I think churches that have kind of gotten on board with that to say, hey, you know what? We're not just called to talk about the 10% we want people to give to the church. We're also called to preach about how people can live faithfully with the 90% that they're holding on to. And uh, I think if we do that with integrity, and uh, as I heard someone say to me just recently in a, in, in a webinar, to speak the truth in love, not to, not to slam people with it, but to do it in a loving way and say, you know, we can't ignore the fact that generosity is part of what it means to be on the disciple's journey. And uh, Jesus spoke about it to a great extent, and we can't hide from that. It's one of the calls in our lives. So I, I think um, my advice to preachers who are nervous about talking uh, about money is just to, to preach the gospel. You know, don't, it doesn't come from, it's not Ken's message. It's not Derek's message. It's what Jesus said about it and preach that faithfully and uh, say, hey, you know, if you feel like you're convicted by it and you're not letting go, you're holding on to your stuff too tight. Be, be honest and authentic enough to talk about that in your preaching. And I think it'll change the climate of that. And then it just doesn't just become about, I want you to give here to the church so we can make the budget and my salary can be covered and all that kind of, all those hangups we have. If we just preach what the gospel says about it, and I think it's, I think things will come, come out well. So, so one of your answers then is to those who say we, only preach about it once a year is we ought to preach about it more. It ought yeah. to be part of the, the rhythm of the church is to talk about how we give. Exactly. And it ought to be a part of the stories that we tell one another as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I just think, like I say, when we only reserve it for, you know, that little season, um, you know, I had this experience when my wife and I were church shopping that we went to a church and it happened to be, you know, we signed the pads in the pew. We hadn't made a decision about where we were going to land and, um, but we got a letter when they did their fall annual campaign and the opening letter, the opening line in the letter was, uh, nobody likes to talk about money, but we have to do this once a year. And I thought, boy, they made it sound like, you know, swallowing bad medicine, you know, hold your nose, uh, take this medicine down. Um, and, and I, I listen to NPR all the time. It reminded me of the NPR pledge breaks where the, the people on NPR will say, please give today so we don't have to talk about this tomorrow. We want to get back to doing what we want to do. Well, you know, this is generosity is what we're about. And it's part of our being a disciple. So that's our mission. And uh, if, we, if we leave it to just say we're going to talk about it on one Sunday, get it over with and put it on the shelf, um, we're really kind of letting the gospel down because 
There's a lot more in the gospel that we're leaving behind. I remember one time hearing from a member of my church um, that I served telling me that, in fact, they're a little bit upset with me because they recently discovered what a joy it is to give. And, and they were saying they hadn't heard that, you know, they hadn't heard that from the pastor. They hadn't heard it from other members of the church. I think that's part of the story. We want to tell the story about what we're doing and the impact we're having, but but we also have members of our church who just love to give. They, yeah. they feel fulfilled in that and they find the joy in that and giving them space and a voice and a platform in the midst of worship, uh, I think can inspire other people. Yeah. One of the things that I found when I worked at the annual conference and then when I came to work here in Nashville with the uh, communications agency and now with discipleship is, um, you know, in a lot of ways, Sometimes pastors feel like they have to protect the wallets of the people in their congregation. <laughs> and uh, so we would talk about all these great things that the church does and, you know, these special offerings that help with disaster response or help with students to go to school or um, help with communities and uh, that are kind of intention and to help them kind of develop stronger bonds in the communities. And people would say, no, no, my, my people get asked too much. They can't, you know, they, they can't give to all these things. And, you know, when lay people find out about all these things that are going on, they have that same response. They say, you know, well, well why don't we hear about this more in church? And, mm-hmm. and I think for clergy, we just have to say, you know what? Our people are pretty good at protecting their own wallets and their own purses. We don't need to have take that role on ourselves. Um, we need to be telling people, you know, giving people opportunities to give. Um, to be supporting mission or whatever. And that's not going to hurt our, what they give to keep our operating expenses going. And, you know, the cost of doing our mission and ministry, I think it's only going to enhance us if they believe that their, their dollars that they give are making an impact, not just in your community, but through the, through the bounds of the conference and out around the world. Yeah. I, I came to the understanding that people give to what they believe in what they're passionate about. And, and so to give people as many opportunities to find something to be passionate about, I think sometimes we suffer from a lack of passion in the church. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and just to provide people opportunities to, to find something that really speaks to their heart and so that they can then, they can pour out their resources, their time, their energy, but also their money. I, I think that's a, that's a task that pastors need to take on and church leaders in general need to take on to give people the chance. Yeah, um, to give. Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a shift in the church, um, and I think we're going to have to shift from uh, focusing on the church's need for money and, and shift our focus to people's need to give, people's need to experience the joy of generosity. Uh, I sometimes refer to it as uh, moving from church-centered, budget-driven uh, focus to a uh, donor-centered mission focused kind of approach to it. And I just think it's a, it's a shift that's happening in the church and churches that have been successful in doing it and kind of putting the, putting, putting this more about the donor and the person who gives and, and leading them into that joy of experiencing that more than getting, trying to get people excited about giving to our budgets or our budget is at a hundred percent or whatever. Um, it's uh, it's one of the shifts I think that, that we're going to have to make if churches are going to survive. Right. It's well. It's it's also moving away from trying to save the church and more trying to build the kingdom of God, and say this is more about 
making disciples than it is about preserving an institution. That's well said. Yeah. So tell me, uh, Ken, as we as we wrap up, what what words do you have for churches that are afraid right now because of all that we've been through? And you quoted some statistics about giving being down, and uh, and we heard some other statistics today about some congregations that are just not doing anything. You know, they're not trying online stuff. They just hit pause on yeah. all their ministries, and now at some point the doors will open again, and they're going to pick up and and do something new and different. But but what word do you have in terms of the fear that people have that their that their churches aren't going to survive this? Yeah. Well, we are going to come out of this. There is, good, there is going to be a church on the other side of this. Um, what we are hoping is that, uh, that we will be able to, in our generation, and the generation that is, has the church in, their, in our hands now, um, be able to come through this the way um, the church has come through other great challenges that have happened. They may not have been pandemics, so there have been those in the past. There has been you know, been times of uh, persecution. There's been times of great shortages that, you know, some some of our elderly members r- will still remember going through the depression and waiting online to get a loaf of bread and things like that. Uh, we're not the first ones to have to go and, and kind of do these things. I think one of the things that I would say to churches is even beyond the um, the the urgency of electronic giving is to do whatever you can to maintain the relationships that people have with each other through this particular time of being isolated. Um, I just think that um, I, I've, I've said all along, long before the pandemic, that relationships were the key uh, part to faithful stewardship, that people had to have relationships in a community of faith and believe in it. Um, I think maintaining those relationships right now is probably the most important thing you can do. Um, if you are if you are not streaming worship services, um, trying to do something that maintains that connection, um, Zoom is a free asset that people can pick up. Um, you can get a, a hundred people in a forty-minute meeting and still not have it cost you anything. Um, maybe in your church, the best way to keep those main relationships now that you have more time is to write letters to people. You know, write three or four letters every day. Um, use the phone if if uh, Zoom is not an option. Um, but Zoom allows people to call in from their phones. So even if they don't have a computer with a video camera, they could still participate in in gatherings and study groups. Um, I'm seeing a lot of creativity. I know I can't see all you know all 42,000 United Methodist churches, but the ones that I'm I'm seeing, I'm seeing some openness and to innovation and creativity. And uh, some of it's brand new for us. You know, um, some of the things we've struggled with, we struggle with this whole thing about people doing communion online. And yet, you know, we're, we're managing to kind of move through that. Um, I think people are going to find some innovative ways, but I would say the first thing, the most important thing to keep your thing is, is keep people connected. Uh, mm-hmm. Let them know that there's a community that uh, they belong to. Um, I, my, I have an older sister. Uh, she and I are the only two left, and uh, she attends a small church in North Carolina. And I asked her if they were streaming the worship service because she was talking to me about how they use Zoom for meetings. And she said, no, uh, we just give everybody a, a link to a big church that does you know, streaming really well. 
And, and I said to her, and I don't try to tell her, my older sister, what to do or whatever, but I said, you know, I've been to your church. They get about 35 people, maybe 40 people out on a Sunday morning, but they love to be together. You know, you have to use a whip and a chair to get them to sit down and start the worship service. I, I always feel bad for the pastor that she needs a whistle to get them to stop. I said, those people need to see each other on Sunday morning. Uh, it's nice to see a big church that does, you know, music and worship and everything with great technological wonder. But, you know, people need to see the people they're in community with and, and do what you can to maintain those relationships. I don't know if she's going to listen to me because I'm just her little brother. But um, uh, that's what I would say to folks. I would say, you know, we'll make it through this. Do the best you can to keep people connected to one another in the faith community. And uh, tell them stories about good things that are happening, but keep those connections going. Amen. Keep keep the connections going. I I can't help but hear Isaiah 43. You know, when we start talking about, I want to go back to the way it was. Well, sometimes we have to forget the past and we have to go forward to God's future. He's God's doing a new thing in our midst. And so maybe it's time for us to, to stand up and embrace that new thing. Ken, I appreciate you spending some time with us uh, so that we can record these words. I know that you have webinars uh, available and um, you're doing a few more uh, coming up. Where can people find information about uh, the teaching that you do? Our resources are on the discipleship site, which is umcdiscipleship.org, and it's forward slash stewardship. And that'll take you to the page that I populate with. Right now, it's mostly all. Um, helps for getting through this um, COVID-19 time that we're in and getting us to the other side of it. But um, there's lots of resources up there. Um, there'll be, it'll be, I'll be doing webinars. Probably I've kind of upped my, my webinar schedule quite a bit during this time because um, I think that folks are ready to hear uh, webinars and get help for them. But I'll, I'll be doing them during April and May, about every two weeks. And so um, you'll find all that listed up on the webpage up there and, and hopefully some content that'll be helpful for your church. Great. Thank you, Ken. And thank you for listening in. Uh, we hope it's been helpful to you. And remember that you can find more general information on the website, uh, umcdiscipleship.org. You can check the worship site. You can check the stewardship site. There are resources available. Ask questions. Reach out. Don't just wait. Uh, be engaged so that we can be the church even in this time. So until next time, we'll be praying for it with you and your congregation. May God continue to bless you. Bless your worship ministry, your stewardship ministry as you continue to make disciples of the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.